Alrighty, well, hello everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast. We gather around a table, we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course. And today we have a guest who's a friend of Dalton's. Dalton, why don't you take a second and introduce our guest host today? Yeah, yeah, we've got a. If, for those of you in the know here in OKC, uh, if you if you're part of the film scene, you probably know Lucas Dunn. He used to host Mondo Mondays over at Pony Boy. Uh, he's got a great Substack where he talks about movies without talking about movies uh he's also a contributing editor and writer for edible okc uh lucas thanks for coming man i've been really looking forward to having you on the show howdy yeah no i've been stoked to uh to join y'all and this is a movie that i kind of laughed when you asked me to because it's like i've got thoughts about this movie so (laughs) it should be fun yeah yeah you you we were kind of brainstorming like what we could have you on for and you're like hey there's a new indie movie coming out and i got thoughts (laughs) thoughts <laughs> and i was like okay hell yeah because we've have we even covered raiders uh on the show dustin i can't remember i think we have i think we did a, i think there was a uh, re, uh, revival screening and that we did a show with it way back in the uh bohannon days mm, okay uh, yeah I that would like make I remember sense her being on that show yeah Arthur says that's correct. Thank you, Art. Uh, you may have noticed the listener. Uh, Art will not be able to join us this week. Uh, our our uh, remote audio setup, as I'm sure you've noticed, uh, is preventing him from from uh, getting on with us today. So uh, salutations from Art. He'll uh, drop straight thoughts here and there uh, in our chat if he has anything for us. He is the today, silent Bob to our Jay. Yes. Yeah, he's he will be playing the role of Hal 9000 today. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but today's film, dear listener, is Steven Spielberg's Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So, indie number four is uh, the topic of today's show. And if you're tuning into the show for the very first time here at the Good Trash Undercast, we want to warn you that this is not a review show. It's an analysis show. We'll do some short reviews here in a little bit, but uh, that's not the bones of what we do. And analysis is always going to require spoilers. So, if you are doing an indie catch-up, and listening to this, this will tell you everything you need to know if you don't want to bother going ahead and watching this film. But if you do want to catch it first before listening, this is the way it goes down. We'll have a synopsis, which will be spoiler-free. We'll have quick thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews, which will sound like what reviews sound like, uh, which don't give away the details of the plot, although some bits of plot might be discussed. We play a game called Expanding the Syllabus, in which films of this ilk are more likely to be spoiled than this film slightly but there could be some spoilers in that zone and then we've got a little cue of kicking music to let you know that we've gotten down to business and that business is analysis and that's when all spoiler bets are off so that is your warning uh i'm going to ask dalton if you would uh to read the synopsis for us please I thought you might ask. Yeah, I'm uh, all raspy from Dead Center, uh, so uh, I I think I can handle the role of Arthur today. In 1957, Indiana Jones becomes entangled in a Soviet plot to uncover the secret behind mysterious artifacts known as the Crystal Skulls. That is indeed (laughs) that is indeed the uh, nature of the story. Arthur gives you a B minus. I'll take it. Yeah, that's that's appropriate. So, yeah, that's what happens in the movie. Um, Lucas, since you're the guest, we always want to give first privileges to you. What would you say in terms of review? Do you like The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? And what do you or don't you like about it? Uh, first, I want to tag on to that synopsis thing because I thought it was hilarious. Like the, the one I watched it on uh, I get Disney Plus. Stream, they're all streaming on there. And like all the other Indiana Jones movies – 
which I watched all of them this week for the hundredth time, but just to like, you know, kind of be fresh. But like the plot synopsis for those are like a little more kind of like lengthy and fleshed out. And this one was like one sentence where it's like Indiana Jones has to find a, uh, a rare artifact but he's had some trouble along the way. Or like just <laughs> so like just vague where it's like, I guess that's what happens. Um, so I saw this movie. Uh, I saw it at a press screener uh, with my friend, James Cooper, who uh, he also used to, he's, he teaches film and uh, uh, used to like do film reviews. So like he would always, I think he still is in the film association. So just something comes up and he's like, I got tickets. You want to see this for free? Uh, and so, of course, Indiana Jones, like, you know, it's one of my favorite franchises. Like, I mean, like that and Star Wars are almost as like dear in my heart as like just movies. I've like the first things that I ever remember seeing, you know, just growing up with them. And there were so many moments when we were watching Crystal Skull and James and I would just turn to each other and just be like, what's Why? Why is this happening? Um, That said, I mean, I still, I enjoyed it then. I enjoyed it on this rewatch, but I still kind of feel the same where mostly, um, one, like, why? Why are we doing this? Uh, I mean, after Last Crusade, why, you're not going to make a better movie than Last Crusade. Like, that's, to me, that's the perfect Indiana Jones movie. Just, it hits every single beat. And I don't want to see Indiana Jones old, you know, I'm just um, so without like just digging too much into it, there's just I, I share that, that I like. I, I like the I, I think the alien stuff is cool. Like, I really dig that. Not that final sequence. Um, but just I mean, aside from just even like, why are we doing another Indiana Jones? Like it feels so lifeless in a way like just when you're going through the plot beats and it's like all right can we just get to the aliens that's fair that is that is very fair uh so yeah i mean i've got my notes pulled up now so i've got plenty of other things to pick apart so uh i'll just leave it at that for the moment okay very good very good uh dalton what do you say do you like king of the crystal skull why or why not well, I, you know, I got kind of a similar relationship uh, with, with this film. I uh, saw it in theaters um, opening weekends with a big crowd, but haven't watched it since. And I really haven't maintained my relationship with these movies. You know, they, they were pretty foundational for me as well, alongside the Star Wars. You know, those, those Lucas Arts films were very big in a lot of people's childhoods, mine included. Uh, and yeah, I, I'm right there with Lucas. Last Crusade was always my favorite. That was one that always connected with me the most. Um, but, uh, you know, not movies I like revisited a lot as, as a teen and as an adult. Um, so I, I, I did not, I decided to go in cold and fresh and I just watched uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull for this. Uh, the, uh, the research I did instead was watching part of uh, Shia LaBeouf's apology interview uh, on John <laughs> Bernthal's real ones. Uh, that was that was the route I took for, <laughs> for homework this week because I, I am interested in sort of that career, uh, that persona. You know, just uh, weird shit going on in that quadrant of this story. And I was a little interested in that. Um, so anyway, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of on board with this. I think it's fine. You know, I, I, I see why people kind of reacted so violently to it uh, when it was initially released. Uh, you know, it kind of makes sense to me. 
but I, I don't know. It works more often than it doesn't. I think I think the fridge thing's funny. Uh, I think maybe it works better if he just like boom plants in the ground, uh, like wedged into the dirt. But like the, the fridge nuke, not not everything. You know, it's not a shark jumping moment for me. Yeah, I think it's, I, I want to get into the fridge silly. scene for sure. Like I've got Hell a lot yeah, of okay. notes on, but I agree with you. Where, uh, but I've got some other things to say about why. Yeah, the people that are upset about that just come on. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that's probably fair for a lot of this film's criticisms. Uh, I mean, there's some stuff that doesn't necessarily work. Uh, we were talking off air about kind of the the early legacy sequel component of this, where they kind of are framing this passing the torch narrative, uh, and the film doesn't really quite know how to navigate that. I don't think it, you know it's got that as an idea, but it doesn't want to give up the ghost either. Uh, and, I, and I think it has, and I'm I'm curious what Dial of Destiny's gonna have for us because i think this film has a weird relationship to aging indiana jones like like you said lucas i don't i don't know how much this movie wants to see it either i it's it's kind of interesting to me uh, as as an aspect of this this is a kind of a larger piece uh, i'm also on board with the alien stuff uh, i think most of the action is okay obviously it's nowhere compared to the heights of you know raiders and, and last crusade uh, or, or even Temple. But there's still some cool stuff. I, I think the jungle chase is really fun until the Tarzan stuff happens. I can kind of take or leave that. Uh, but I think like the actual mechanics of the, the vehicle chase are really cool and it looks really compelling. I love the killer ants. I think that's great. Um, and I think the ancient aliens stuff is interesting. We'll problematize that a little bit when we get into analysis and kind of talk about sort of the inherent uh, potentially anti-indigenous, uh, you know, codings or readings that you can have with sort of ancient alien stuff sometimes uh but we'll get we'll get into that Uh, and i think but i I, i'm on board with the alien stuff i think it's fun i don't don't think it's any wackier than indiana jones literally having an encounter with god uh killing nazis you know it's it's about as wacky as that um kind of interested in this film's politics mccarthyism is bad but maybe so is communism well more on that anon uh but i I think that there's indiana jones saying i like ike yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Which, yeah, we talked about when Dustin, Dustin, Arthur, and I watched this together, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I was like, well, you know, I guess he did warn us about the dangers of the military-industrial complex. Yeah, but, yeah weird moment. Uh, yeah, I think this is a fine movie. Uh, it's it's an okay adventure film. I, if you want to get mad at it, you can, but I, there's much more troubling stuff for you to get mad about. What about you, Dustin? Where are you at with this one? So I I like the movie a lot more now than I did when I first watched it. I was sort of in that angry camp at first because it does feel totally, in some ways, very different from the rest of the trilogy. And like Lucas was saying, um, my favorite of the series has been Last Crusade for a long time. And so why would you, you know, why would you do anything at all if you're going to go backward, uh, so to speak? in terms of uh, storytelling or just, you know, something that just is a little, a little more uneven. And I think there is a little unevenness in the movie. I do very much though, on the second watch, recognize more of what part of cinema history. It seems that uh, Lucas is trying to chat channel here uh, Mm -hmm. through Spielberg in this film. And uh, what, if I'm on board with that, I'm more on board with it. Uh, So the, the more sort of wacky bits as you guys were discussing, are more fine to me than they used to be, uh, with the exception of the Tarzan bit. Uh, that, that still is a bit much, even for the wacky physics of the world of Indiana Jones. It seems it seems to be that might be the the shark jumping moment of the of the movie. But if you can sort of just go with it and then I don't know, pretend like it didn't happen or just 
ignore it and move on. It makes for a fine movie. It's still a good time. Um, it, good times are to be had. And uh, it is just another one of these kinds of things that the other movies have been. It's much more spiritually success uh, successor of Temple of Doom than it is Raiders. It seems that Raiders and Last Crusade are a pair. And then this film is uh, the pair with Temple of Doom. And I like Temple of Doom a lot, too. And so uh, it, it, it's very, very okay, is what I want to say. It's, it's a good, I'm not mad about watching it, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it's mid-tier indie for sure. Um, and the, my lowest ranked film probably of the entire trilogy, but it's lowest out of a pretty good lot. So that's okay, if, if that makes sense. So Yeah, there's a few things that like both of you brought up in yours that like, so like one, the comparison to Temple of Doom I think works because, you know, one, it is like it's sort of a one off thing, although it does bring back things like, hey, remember Marion, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it just kind of being more of like an adventure thing. Also, those are like the two most like racist of the movies, <laughs> like especially <laughs> yeah. Temple, yeah. Temple of Doom man. on this last rewatch. It's just like this is it's rough watching that. Um, but also the George Lucas stuff, my notes, just even glancing at them, there are so many moments where I have George Lucas. Yeah, baby. He's creaming his jeans with this scene right here. Where... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, to even, yeah. like, like my, my first notes for like, cause it was just kind of going as was watching and it's Technicolor Elvis Presley drag race. Uh, George Lucas. Yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That is some primo Lucas content. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Wanna, George, 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 what if we put like American graffiti in Indiana yeah. Jones? Yeah, Georgie Porgy, absolutely uh, having the time of his life on that well, one. Well, that diner fight and car uh, chase that follows it is very much of a piece of that as well, right? Totally. Oh, yeah. yeah, the the college campus motorcycle chase. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh well that so that, that's kind of where we're at, I guess. We are it's it's mid, and uh, I don't think any of us are considering these mids loud. Uh, yeah, it's it's fine. We're not mad about it. So next is what we do uh, when we do this show. We're we're, we're going to try to deliver on the promise of the premise and expand the syllabus. Dustin, why don't you tell people a little bit more about what expanding the syllabus looks like? So expanding a syllabus is, again, where we fulfill the promise of the premise, as Dalton just said, of this show, is that we're going to take a film studies approach to – this film. And so if we were teaching some college class, how would we integrate this film? What class would it be? What module it would be a part of? And what uh, different pieces would we pair with it? Either other films or books or uh, other texts, other forms of art. And how would that conversation sort of uh, go forward if we were to approach Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull academically? And so that's what it's kind of all about. Um, Dalton, do you come prepared with the syllabus today, my friend? I do indeed. Yeah, Arthur and I kind of collabed on this one. Um, I, I definitely was right away like, okay, let's do Ancient Aliens. We got it. Let's let's just do that. Like anything where we're considering the you know the intervention of uh, you know higher uh, extraterrestrial life and influencing the, the development of the human species and human civilization. Uh, and then Arthur kind of went up to me and goes, well, what about just like first contact in general? And I was like, dang, okay, that's that's something because I, I think. All of the the ancient alien stories are I kind of I, I think interested in the mystery of what if first contact already happened and we lost the secrets you know and I think that that's kind of a fun idea and and while there's a lot of stuff to problematize with that as as I already kind of alluded to uh, I think it's an interesting 
you know, thought experiment nonetheless. And obviously this class would, you know, if, if it were to do this material seriously, it would have to uh, consider these, these questions we'll talk about in analysis uh, as, as far as just like, okay, like what does it mean when we're saying certain groups need help to build uh, certain, uh, you know, milestone achievements in engineering? You know, what, what, is that, what does that actually say uh, about his historical discourse? Um, so some of the movies we'd look at, uh, of course, Roland Emmerich Stargate, sort of a, a real early Kickstarter of this phenomenon. I, I always, of course, associate ancient aliens with sort of uh, 90s conspiracy theories and, of course, you know, uh, late stage history channel programming. Uh, the guy with the big hair from the meme. Y'all know who I'm talking about. I can't mm-hmm. think of his name. Um, aliens. And- yeah, aliens. Uh, are some of these people crackpots? Undoubtedly. But, you know, crackpots can be fun to uh, listen to occasionally. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of this trend starts off with Stargate, uh, with uh, Kurt Russell and James Spader. A fun movie. I don't think we need to get into the, sort of the multimedia aspect of it. I know there's you know a bunch of TV shows and, and, and comics and so on. I think the movie will serve us just fine. I do, of course, want to look at Ridley Scott's controversial Prometheus. Uh, I like that movie. I, uh, like I think it's weird. Too. Yeah, I think, I, I, I think it's great. I love it. It's, yeah, I, hell yeah. I'm glad we're on the same page with this one. Yeah, I, I like Alien Covenant too. I think I like that it's kind of more of a splatterhouse movie. Yeah. Um, but Prometheus is just like a real kind of fun meditative uh, science fiction film uh, about the divine and why we seek it and what we expect from it. Uh, and, and using you know the question of intelligent life in the universe to kind of ask questions about God and creation, uh, I think are hey, pretty sick. That's all stuff that checks my boxes, folks. I don't know about you. Um, I, and I think we're, we're going to go with sort of the, you know, the new Hollywood classic first encounter film, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and sort of the modern classic uh, first contact film Arrival. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think both of those films kind of are asking similar questions about what what does an encounter with a technologically superior intelligent life what what consequences does that have for human civilization and human interaction um and and our understanding of of our place in the world uh, obviously that's a little bit unconnected from sort of the the initial premise of ancient aliens specifically uh you know we're not considering uh, extraterrestrial life influencing our development we're more considering how they would influence, you know, the continued development of civilization. Uh, so different questions being asked, but I think they're of a piece with one another. So I, I think, again, I think it's all fair grounds for being covered in the same class. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Uh, Lucas, uh, do you have a syllabus prepared for us today? Uh, nothing in particular, but I do want to add on. I mean, it, to, to sure, me, what the, the interesting thing about this film is – I mean, like uh, the aliens was like the pole, but I think that like early on that they tried to set up that this is very much atomic age. I mean, the oh, again, the opening scene is the Technicolor Elvis Presley drag race to, um, you know, the it's not supposed to be Alamo, but, you know, uh what was the base name that they had? Whatever it is. Los Alamos. The, yeah. Was it supposed to be Los Alamos? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I guess if they were testing bombs. Yeah. Um. And so uh, you see, I mean, as the the race is kind of going 
or the cars are going towards the base. Uh, the camera pulls down and there is a cafe called the Atomic Cafe, which mm-hmm. is a really great documentary. Uh, have you all seen that? No, no, no. Uh, it's a cool like 1980s like it's like very punk rock style documentary but it's like it's all made out of like um like they didn't shoot anything for it so it's just like a it's like a collage like a video collage of um like propaganda from the atomic era and like um you know like military footage and things like that and it's like both like just like funny and horrifying and uh it's i mean this is kind of like that tail end of um you know like the cold war when it was made mm-hmm. and um so it's just basically about how like we've been living in fear of this thing that we created that you know can kill god or <laughs> god kill oh we're playing god whatever you know um uh Really good. That sounds dope. Yeah. Um, But I think that is like a thread that is pulled throughout. I mean, there's even like a uh, a quote from Oppenheimer. Well, it's misattributed. It's actually from the Maharishi, but um, which is also funny that we're talking about this before Oppenheimer comes out. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but even like at the very end of the film, you know, like it's it almost like feels like it's an like, atomic event whenever, um, totally the, the aliens open up the portal so they can travel interdimensionally. And it's like, it just flattens like this, this ancient temple and all of this, like this knowledge and these artifacts and all of that, like it just gets rid of it. And then they're just out of here. They're gone. Um, so I, I, I do think that like, cold war and like atomic power and especially like i mean it's 2008 and even that was the point where so many people were like disconnected from this thing that's still a very real threat like to this day i mean at any moment someone could just press the button and as sun ross said your ass got to go mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and we're still living under that shadow but we've forgotten about it because there's so many other things that like are um seem like nearer threats but that threat's right. still there a sun raw quote by the way my friend well done with uh space is the place i'm impressed nuclear war yeah <laughs> yeah hell yeah i love that atomic age reading yeah i think that yeah. that, that uh, documentary sounds fantastic yeah that i sounds think like that's a time. really great pairing uh dustin how would you teach this this bad boy like what what is this how do you shape this into something i think i would work it into a class specifically on exhibition and different ways of exhibition. And so the class would begin, you know, with less Indiana Jones related material and just talking about the life of going to the movies in a time where there were previews and double bills and shorts and cartoons were directly attached to the the cinematic experience. Uh, There's a uh, DVD extra on my copy of the Maltese Falcon, which is a Marvel night at the movies. And it's got a couple pairings uh, not a, not a second feature, but a couple of pairings of what you would do in terms of various previews and shorts uh, that would be attached to alongside newsreels and uh, that kind of stuff with watching movies. And uh, so th- that would be sort of like the beginnings of the class. Now, the, the specific module that I really want to deal with when we got to Indiana Jones or using Indiana Jones, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, is uh, drive-in movies, especially the B-pictures. 
And so some of the earlier material in the class, we would have looked at uh, serials and that influence on George Lucas. It's obvious in Star Wars. Uh, but Tarzan is one of those serials that obviously is uh, uh, rearing its head. Uh, we've already name dropped it uh, with the film. But also just uh, the drive-in sort of B-picture kind of horrors. Because throughout the film, you've got the ants. You've got uh, just uh, the, uh, the various sort of... Uh, teeny bopper kind of stuff that we're dealing uh the greasers and the motorcycle films and those kinds of films are all kind of part of the dna of what becomes king of the crystal skull again b-movie kind of sci-fi uh b-movie kind of horror and uh you know those sort of again bike exploitation films there so in that module the drive-in movies that i especially want to look at because of the ants angry red planet uh which is a great little science fiction movie with giant ants uh, on the planet from the planet Mars, which is just a good time all by itself. I think Mario Bava's Planet of the Vampires, another sort of famous drive-in movie, uh, would be worth looking at. Um, uh, uh, some of the uh, Hell's Angels on Wheels, uh, a Henry Fonda movie, would also be uh, kind of a good time of the motorcycle greaser kind of culture film uh, worth looking at. And then maybe, you know, uh, Steve McQueen in The Blob from 58. And then finally, uh, probably the best movie of the lot, uh, which is Forbidden Planet, starring a serious Leslie Nielsen. Uh, that is uh, just, and Robbie the Robot. Uh, good sci-fi uh, going on there. And so, um, and uh, that's that's the main thing that I want to, would want to look at uh, regarding Indiana Jones particularly. And what I would try to do again is thinking about exhibition habits and how these particular kind of little modes and little uh, venues where people would go to drive-ins, that's one kind of experience. Serials is another kind of experience from another era and how uh, a lot of baby boomer and early Xer filmmakers are playing with those modes of viewership to compose films in uh, a time of different exhibition uh, looking at um, a movie that's in some ways recapturing parts of that experience so that would be my approach i think in using any of the indies but especially kingdom of the crystal skull uh, for a class so um, there you go dear listener i think all of your uh, reading and watching lists just got quite a bit longer i think now is the time to do what we always do and what we're here to do it's time to get down to business That's right, and that business is, as always, analysis. Uh, there's all kinds of things. And, uh, you know, Lucas, you bring up the Cold War and uh, the sort of atomic period of the 1950s. And I think that is kind of a good place to begin because that is the sort of the key component in the Soviet scare, that what happens in American politics and sort of global politics at that time is the Soviet Union ceases to be an ally in 1946 um, after World War II wraps up and they take care of business there on the Eastern Front. And because they are a, 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 a well, an equal nuclear power, maybe not actually equal, but at least equal in threat or possibility um, as a nuclear power, um, that that's sort of what begins the arms race of the 50s and 60s, and that this movie sort of opens up with that event uh, is an interesting 
again, I, I think there's an interesting juxtaposition because you have to think scene to scene. Yeah, you, you mentioned the sort of American graffiti-ness of that uh, Elvis Presley uh, drag race scene, but it's right up against then a scene of one of these 50s-style model homes um, with full of mannequins, you know, being burnt up in a, uh, a nuclear test. And I think that's sort of the trying to get to the nub of a lot of the sense of ease and disease in 1950s America. Does that make sense? That yeah. And, just, yeah, go ahead. And that's, that's, I mean, kind of what you're bringing up is one of the reasons why I, I, I think one, I like that scene because it is just like, as like a, I think it's one of like the better like set pieces in the moment where it is just like, it's exciting. And it's like, how, how's Indy going to get himself out of this jam? But, um, but the way that it's like, it's, it's shot and like colored and again, like it's like this like perfect little town and, you know, like these like brand new like, you know, like model houses that are, um, you know, it's like tract housing where it's like, you know, you live in a planned neighborhood. That's what people wanted then where all the houses look the same and they're all kind of like these like kind of like bright pastel colors. And there's like, for some reason, there's even like like, you know, like the natural music that's playing you know inside mm-hmm, the house mm-hmm. and you know it's like this like perfect family but they're all like hollow mannequins and i mean it's like a pretty dumb dumb guy metaphor thing to make but i think they i mean you can't really count on these movies to be uh making deeper salient points but i think it was something that they, there was even like a frustration from people in that time that you know just like seeing this cookie cutter lifestyle being encroached upon them and then just having this like hollow plastic fake thing and then but even still just watching it get detonated is still like kind of devastating and indiana jones survives it in a lead line freezer which refrigerator which everybody was mad about nuking the fridge but man watching all of these movies in the last week it's like if that is the most ridiculous. Like, okay, can you tell me what happens at the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark? Like, what is like, what happens in that very first scene when you are introduced to Indiana Jones? Like he swims all the way back to shore, right off of a of a off a boat, right? Oh, I'm saying he walks into a temple and like if you step into the oh, light, oh, Raiders, you know, like yeah. traps are sprung out at you. You know, <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. like it's like magic is happening. And the end of the movie is like they open up. A, a box that's full of ghosts that eat people <laughs> Nazis. and so if like if that is the thing where you're like indiana jones is unrealistic i mean then you know like part two is about trying to find some like magic rocks inside a cave and like uh crusaders last crusade and this one i think are like the most like like rooted in reality because really with like last crusade up until they finally find the temple with the you know, the old ghost man knight that <laughs> lives there. Right. And they kind of screw him over and they take the cup. And then he's just like, why, why are you leaving? You just ruined everything. I wanted to go. I thought I could leave. Uh, but it, it was like really the only like supernatural thing that happened. And th- at least with this movie, there's like the aliens. I can believe aliens quicker than I can believe like um, a thing that God made that's full of ghosts that eats people. Yeah, no, this, this this is a franchise that's always rooted in, in the ridiculous. And I, I think even in that ridiculousness, though, there's there's some fun stuff. I mean, you talked about sort of the the inherent dumb guy metaphor of of the the 
the, the nuke testing ground. But, you know, when, when a movie gives it to you right there, why not play with the dumb guy metaphors, right? Like he gets in the product of American consumerism that is the, the you know, the 50s appliance. Uh, and that that's what protects him from, you know, imperial and military destruction and havoc. And, and it is like really... A terrifying scene you know like they do kind of commit to making it a frightening explosion in a, in a real way and you've got uh, that siren going off the whole time you know totally like- yeah which you know that always hits for us okies right like you know anytime yeah. you get an air raid siren going we all perk up no that's a lot of fun i think and you know there, there is that sort of fake vacuous 50 society which was in some senses designed to be the anesthetic for the possibility of nuclear horror at the same time and mm-hmm. to see those two things sort of like impinge upon one another the the antidote and the poison running right up against each other uh is really kind of a i mean a fascinating choice really uh for the movie which brings us into the sort of next major bit of the film which is that sort of mccarthyism red scare you know not all of us in the F- or not all of us in the military are commies that line uh, when uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jones, apparently. Um, yeah, I think that's right. You know, he's a, he's a working spy as well as an archaeologist. Uh, which, which is all of that, like, wh- why did we have to just, like, wait, we just skipped over, like, you know, like, what, 20 years or whatever of Indiana Jones's history, and then we find out that, like, oh, actually he was in the military and, like, doing all this. Cause, like, we don't, do we need that? Yep. Can't he just be, like, I've been Indiana Jones, this like very bad professor who travels around the world stealing things and murdering people. Like that yeah, seems like enough man, qualification. Right. Yeah. My man becomes a full on OSS officer during the war. He is a dadgum super spy. And it is it is kind of like, OK, do we need that? Like, it makes sense. Obviously, he spends two of the previous three movies uh, fighting Nazis. So, like, at some level, it makes sense to put that character in World War Two. But yeah, I'm kind of with you, Lucas. It's it's a weird beat, and uh, I, I, as much as I like sort of the '50s paranoia of the him getting grilled by FBI agents, like that 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 is sort of a fun piece of business. But it is yeah, the war record stuff is I don't know. Because it, it seems like it, if he was a military guy, he would have been enlisted in World War II, right? Like if fighting Nazis was that big of a deal to him. Like, yeah, just, exactly. He'd be enlisted as opposed to a spy, maybe. Yeah, it's I, I don't know. Maybe it's because he, uh, you know, found found God's weapons yeah. <laughs> and stole them from the Nazis that he could only be a high level spy as opposed to a grunt. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, it definitely makes like, you wonder. Where's that like, movie? Like the espionage no, Indiana for Jones sure. movie. Like, that I was just about to say. <laughs> no, totally. It makes you wonder. Like, did the in the you know the mid to late 90s did they ever get cooking on a potential fourth indiana jones movie that looked a lot different than this one like it is interesting like when in everybody's careers they end up teaming back up for this yeah and there's a hint at that movie you know when ray winstone talks about you know just like in berlin like i want to see this sort of double agent east german you know time of the the division in the wall kind of movie with indy going on both sides of that that would be that'd be kind of fun yeah totally um it, it, the um, I don't know. The McCarthyism is kind of interesting. You mentioned while we were watching it, Dustin, that it, it has got this kind of weird, like, boy. This and I, I know I alluded to that this earlier in the episode, but just the this sort of sense of like, we as a movie condemn this behavior by the U.S. government, but also the every they were everybody was right to be concerned about the communists. Right. Yeah. They they are a real threat, and you know they're the bad guy. I mean, you know, it's it's sort of that classic '80s almost thing, you know, in the Cold War. 
of just Russians are easy bad guys to use. You use Nazis if you're in the 40s. You use Russians if you're basically the last half of the 20th century. Uh, it just kind of reminds me of the, the sort of having your cake and eating it to politics that we often get from mainstream American cinema, you know? Yeah, it's, for sure. It, it, it can never be, you know, it's 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 always comes down to Republicans by Nikes when it comes to Hollywood movies. You know what I mean? Uh, just, you know, yeah, obviously, uh, I, th- I, I am stupid for wanting more for mainstream media. That's on me. But, you know, I'm going to keep asking for it. One thing I wanted to mention in terms of analysis, and I don't know if you guys will have anything to respond to this, and if you do, great, but I just want to say it for the sake of saying it, is uh, Zizek's sort of thesis about uh, Spielberg's obscene fathers, because this movie is a a fun reversal of that. So what Zizek notices is that these um, movies of Steven Spielberg tend to be movies about bad dads uh, who learn how to be good dads eventually. And there's a little bit of that going on in the film, but Weirdly enough, Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones is a better dad at first to Shia LaBeouf than what happens after he finds out. He's like, oh, you know, you need to do what makes you happy. You need to live your life. You know, school's not for everybody. You know, that kind of stuff. And then as soon as he and Mary makes a reveal that well, this they're is actually in that pit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is actually your son's like, well, why did you let him quit school? And you're going to go back to school. And, you, you know, and, and he immediately sort of takes this sort of patriarchal authoritarian kind of weird twist and becomes obscene for a second, you know, uh, in, a, in a way that I think is, is just it's th- that Spielberg has got a, a slightly different um, melody or harmony working with that same kind of theme that he tends to play within his films here. And uh, it's just kind of a good time, you know, it for that. Kind of, for me, kind of makes me think of like just, I don't know, it takes a village perspectives on parenting and how a a, a, a more removed uh, party invested in a, an adolescence, you know, future can can be a little bit more open to a non-traditional path. I, I just think it's really interesting. And it's it's that, that role of father when that's foisted upon him, then he sets all these expectations on Mutt. Uh, you know, and it's not until he he realizes that this is quote unquote his child, right? That that it had that he's got like expectations of, of what he he wants for Mutt because it's, you know, based in, you know, his own desires. I don't know. Just some some interesting stuff there. I, I, I think it's it's a cute character bit, like you said, like it's funny and it is an interesting inversion. Uh, of, of sort of classic Spielberg themes, but I am kind of interested in at it from just sort of that, you know, that, that the difference of perspective that, you know, Indy has briefly uh, before kind of going much more traditionalistic. Well, there's like, I mean, like the scene in Last Crusade when uh, Henry and Henry Jr. are on the Zeppelin and, uh, you know, they just they got the book back from the Nazis or they think that they're home free and uh but they're like you know look he's and he's like let's have a conversation and uh it was like well you know what do you dad's like what do you want to talk about and it's like i don't have anything to talk about and like okay great let's talk about work and then like right they just move on and so I, I really even for like the rest of them i mean you can tell that like they care for each other um because the whole reason why indiana jones was even doing that well he says he was going to save his dad i know he wanted that cup though you know sure um, cause at the end of the day, that was like the thing that like motivated both of them on, but they had to kind of pretend like we're here because we love each other. Uh, and I don't know, they still seem like they had a strained relationship, but they worked through it. You know, there's, um, there's that scene in this one where, um, 
it's, you know, like in every single one of these movies, except for Temple of Doom, where there's a scene where Indiana Jones is packing his bag and drinking and about to leave while either Marcus or in this movie, the Marcus Standen is like, oh, you're going on your next adventure. Uh, but on his desk, there's a picture of uh, Sean Connery looking mm-hmm. wistful because he retired from acting after uh, the Dragon movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did. We Hollywood did that guy dirty, and it's too bad because yeah, Sean Connery is just a great figure in film. Yeah, it's interesting that the the that this film can't quite figure out what to do other than go. Well, that was a great movie, and we're simply going to leave it alone and not really deal with any anything from there. Uh, which again makes sense because of where Connery's at in his career at the, the point when this film comes out. But it's sort of interesting, uh, and it, again, it does kind of make you consider like what those dynamics could have been if we had you know a third generation represented among the the jones men uh but as we're talking about family dynamics amongst the joneses i guess now we could bring in marion and karen allen and sort of uh what roles women fill in indie films uh in particular in general and and in this film in particular like what where do we find marion and how how does the film deploy her i feel like marion got she got played dirty in this film, man. I yes. just, I, I, Karen Allen's great. I love the character of Marion. I mean, like you're introduced to her mm-hmm. in Raiders, and she is just like drinking this Tibetan village underneath the table, just like super badass, doesn't take shit from nobody. Um, and her, I mean, she gets, she drives the car at the end, but other than that, like she's kind of like relegated to like just being like mad at Indy, but then. There's there's like the moment where like they they get kidnapped or they get captured or whatever and they're like in the back of that Russian truck in the jungle it's like right before the jungle fights or jungle chase starts and they're like arguing and then he says something they're just like I've loved other women since you but uh, none of what what did he say it was something there's something wrong with none all of them, them were you, you. Yeah. yeah and then she just like grins and then from there on and it's like what it's not an apology like it's. <laughs> One, we are to – I mean we can assume that he started their relationship with her at an inappropriate age. I mean, oh, yeah. is- and, yes. and the original script, it's like highly inappropriate. Uh, and yeah, and, and then even in the final you know, theatrical film, we get it alluded to that it's still pretty dicey. Yeah, she says, uh, I was just a child and which – I mean uh-huh. I know that can mean I was just – you know, maybe I was 18, but – yeah, I think in the original script, she's like a proper teenager. I think she's like seriously 14 or, or some some Ooh. wild, yeah, George and Spielberg having a weird one stuff. Uh, so it makes sense that it didn't fin- make it to the finished film. But yeah, like. I Henry mean, in the Jones 30s, Jr's the statutory is... laws, I'm sure, were much different. <laughs> yeah. it's a different yeah. But that's, there's no justification. But also, like, he screwed her over. You know, he broke her yeah, heart. Yeah, yeah. And, and, then, and then for him to also, like. Because I, we would have to assume that it was like sometime at between, maybe between Raiders and Last Crusade. We don't hear anything about her in Last Crusade, but at some point they hooked back up. He knocked her up and then just disappeared. Oh, he was going to marry. He left her at the altar. Yeah, yeah. left like a week uh, yeah. before the wedding or something. I think is a line. Yeah. And so it's just like screw him. And also like Shia LaBeouf doesn't have to like that guy either. You know, it's like he's a dad that walked out for. Uh, to go to the whip store or whatever and never came back. <laughs> um, speaking of Shia, uh, I guess we could 
talk about him briefly. And uh, we're also talking about, you know, uh, women's issues within this film. Um, Obviously, there's some stuff going on with Shia. You can go read about it. We don't need to get into into it on this show. Um, but you know, it's, it's all out there. And, uh, as, as I alluded to, he's kind of, I, I, I hate to diminish it by calling it an apology tour because it seems like legitimately, you know, an earnest trip to, um, you know, treatment facility an earnest, uh, religious experience, religious conversion. But I, I am interested in, in just sort of the arc of Shia LaBeouf from child star to Hollywood golden boy to bad boy to nobody to fucking radioactive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to wh- whatever comes next for for this guy who's just talking about how much he he's just he's just out here in these streets talking about how much he loves uh, Mia Goth and how bad he feels that like she has to walk around like with people looking at her for dating Shia or being married to Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> uh, weird, weird guy. Um, this is like a weird point in his career, right? Because it's it's mid. Uh, um, transformers movies like he's still right. in the, the the those core you know we're not done with those first three you know transformers films that have a lot of the same cast and crew um and so it's weird that they're like all right well what do we do with this kid i don't know i guess he's harrison ford's son in a movie and maybe he'll take over with the hat and the whip like it's just just sort of i don't know it, it, it speaks to sort of the the industry not knowing what to do with this guy that was supposed to be the next big thing uh, a little bit. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It does seem like that, that place where we don't have a slot that fits. So we don't know what to do kind of Hollywood star making, you know, process. He's a dude that like, I just, I've never been interested in him. Like he's supposed to be presented like, He's got no riz, you know what I mean? He's like just like, mm-hmm. for like someone who's like supposed to be like this like cool actor guy. I don't find him charismatic at all. I mean, he's he's a good looking man. Um, I think this movie is a good test of that. I mean, granted, I don't think he had a lot of great stuff to work with, but he shows up. I mean, you know, he's rolling up on the motorcycle on the train platform, looking like uh, Michael Sarah from the. Twin Peaks return. <laughs> right. Just like, like that a, Brando thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I live in like a greaser. And it's like, I, I know at that point in time, greasers had to have been cool. Maybe I would have been a greaser if I was, you know, teenager back oh, then. Lucas, you so would have been a greaser, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would have been like a fucking beat poet nerd yeah oh um, hell yeah you're so right you know you know what yeah i take it back immediately <laughs> but i get i get along with the greasers though you know, yeah for be, sure for cool. sure uh yeah, but it's hanging like, on the jazz clubs <laughs> like who thinks that's cool anymore I, I, only people that were like alive back then think that's cool right am i wrong i, don't I, I think that's fair no i think that's totally fair i mean i guess to like make it work for this time period you know that's probably what you had to do but like um but I, I don't know. His character was just like, there's nothing behind it's a nothing it. character. Yeah. Yeah. He has no real motivations other than to be cool and, and, and respected by Andy. And damsel in distress version of his mom again. So, you know, well, the gender politics play there. He, I thought he was, they were, I think they were trying to set him up to be like, oh, this is where the franchise is going. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Because there's like so many scenes where, and this is something I've learned with this last Indiana Jones rewatch in general, but it's especially in this one where he's not really as like smart or competent. He's like very book smart. Like if he's a D and D character, his intelligence is going to be real high. I think his wisdom's low. 
Like, yeah, he can like instinctually respond well. And some like if he's like in a fight, like he's someone you would want to have in a fight situation. But there's like so many times in a lot of the other movies, but especially this one where, you know, he's like um, transcribing this. Uh, so this is from the Mayan. Well, it's a different version of Mayan, but I think I can figure it out. And it's a riddle and then or whatever, some kind of like puzzle. And then the Shia LaBeouf guy is like, oh, it means this. He's like, you're pretty smart, kid. And then like. Like they let him kind of like accidentally or incidentally like um, push along a lot of the plot points where it's like, oh, maybe this guy's not as dumb as you think. Uh huh. But it just it's so forced. Yeah, I agree with that. What I, I think the casting, you know, we were talking about the casting while we were watching the movie in terms of just the look. There, there's a real contemporary look to um, Shia's face that doesn't quite feel like a 1950s face. Uh, we were we were talking about uh, when Arthur and the Dalton and I were watching the movie, and yeah, he doesn't he just he doesn't have a lot to do. He he's doing good work, but he doesn't. He, they're just there's something just off in general about it's, having him there. He's too squeaky looking, squeaky clean, and mm-hmm. talking about the look in general. This movie, though, I will say something that I hated about this movie. I hated it when I saw it in the theater. I couldn't put my finger on it until like watching it this time and I was trying to like pay attention because it's something visually I don't like. Um, and it's the way that it's lit where yes. most everything, I mean, most of this was shot in like sound studios, but even some of the exteriors are shot to look like sound studio lighting. And, um, and even like when it's like when they're like at the, they're at that little like cafe at the university towards the beginning, like before there's that stupid little car chase uh the motorcycle car chase and but it's like everybody it's like they're like strongly lit from one side and not the other to like make it look fake dramatic but it's like it doesn't look natural at all like it doesn't look like that's how it a thing would really a place would really look you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah i i agree because yeah it, it does it, it it feels real artificial throughout mm-hmm. And there is something really, really grounded in just the general, you know, DP style, lighting style in those first three films that, that is lost in this in this film. No, I, I'm definitely picking up the the sort of uh, sense you're getting from from that. It doesn't really look like other Spielberg movies either. I mean, you, you can look at, you know, War of the Worlds, which is almost contemporary to this or even back to Jurassic Park. which has got a lot of exterior jungly kind of stuff going on with it. And that lighting is also artifice but it feels like the artifice of uh, uh, again trying to recreate uh, a sense of you're in the jungle somewhere uh, being chased by dinosaurs it's all just like so bright all the time yes and, and, long, yeah. but even though like i mean just I, I, there's only like a couple scenes that like look like very clearly like green screen to me i mean obviously i think like the, the all, pretty much all the jungle stuff like the jungle mm-hmm. chase and then you know, like the end with like the temple blowing up and going into space or whatever. But I, most of it seemed like it's like real sets or there's not a lot of like on location stuff. And funny thing about this is like it was almost all shot in America because Steven Spielberg wanted to stay with his family and one or like not be far from them. One funny thing, though, is like that cafe or after the cafe when they do that chase through the university, uh, I made a joke. I was watching it with my partner and I was like, oh, this looks like they were able to um, 
basically they had like a university, like an Ivy League university for a couple of days in the middle of summer. And they're like, let's just shoot something here. And Mm -hmm. uh, Jenny has ADHD, so she'll just like look up movie facts while we're talking about them. And apparently, yes, Steven Spielberg's son was going to Yale and they're like, oh, let's just shoot it here for a week. (laughs) Great. Great. That's great. Yeah, that checks out. Love that. That's so funny. Um, I, I guess I do want to. I, I don't know how much I actually have to say about it. I just want to circle back to something I, we, we've touched on already. Uh, just sort of, uh, you know, ancient aliens are weird. Uh, and it sure is a, a lot of times white dudes talking about how aliens help brown people build stuff. And uh, I don't know. That's just, it's it's kind of a weird a trope. And, and again, you know, sometimes it, it, it isn't always you know on lines that clean you know de- definitely uh you'll see ancient alien stuff with um you know stonehenge and and, and other you know like european artifacts and, and or um ruins but i i don't know man it, it does sure seem to be tied up in and sort of colonial mindsets a lot and uh, yeah it's, it's just weird you know i don't really have much to say about it it's just you know something that should be addressed i mean here's something to uh you can kind of put on uh the curriculum for this but uh guns germs and steel by jared jared diamond have you all read that book i have not no Um, no it sounds awesome there's also like a like a i think it's like a pbs documentary series about it but uh it's like this anthropology book and it's uh it's coming from the perspective of like just basically where like a lot of like history has been treated why you know that the reason why, you know, like Europeans had uh, were able to like colonize the world is, you know, obviously horrible racist reasons that are founded in nothing. And he basically like sets up the thing of just like, like one, like intelligence is different depending on where you are. And like hunter gatherer societies are that's even the ones that still exist, they're that way for a reason. And it's not even this, as much of like a cultural thing, but like they live in places where that just like that makes sense. And so like the reason why the, a lot of the places that have been able to colonize have done it is because, you know, guns, they have like the raw material to make steel, which lead to making guns or, what you know, hardier weapons and then germs that come yeah. with um, – so like a lot of those like early like European societies like could not hunt and gather. And so like you're just like forced to just figure out horticulture. But by that, it breeds bacteria. And so if you go to a place that like they don't need to do that, they're going to be allergic to you and you're going to kill them. Um, and kind of like he's like not justifying colonialism. What like this, this, the, the whole like thesis of the book is like a counterbalance of just like, look, just because you think that these people had – they just got lucky that they lived in like the right places where there were these like natural resources to go on and take over people that knew things that they, you know, like, like things about like their natural environment and shit mm-hmm, like that, that mm-hmm. um, which is the reason why a lot of like those European people just like starved to death whenever, cause they're just too dumb to figure out how to like, nope. you know, like mm-hmm. live without those conveniences. So, uh, but anyways, guns, germs, and steel, uh, there's, probably find on the pbs app or something to watch a documentary good stuff that's very very cool and i was circling back to dalton's earlier point about you know brown people must have had alien help um that does seem to be uh, a sort of general kind of weird racist attitude in that ancient alien space because i was just as you were talking about dalton i was thinking about there's a uh, kind of concrete that the romans made 
mm-hmm. that we still can't figure out this that's lasting to this day and we can't crack the code on how they did it. But no one has suggested that I know of that the reason why the Romans had this fancy concrete is because aliens helped them because they're the Romans. Mm-hmm. But the Egyptians had to have had help for the pyramids or the Mayans or whoever. Yeah. Because, yeah. So I, I, I think that those assumptions are kind of built into that. You know, in a fascinating kind of way. Yeah, it's like the Egyptians obviously weren't too dumb to build them. They just enslaved all their people and made them break their backs to do something that, you know. Yeah, human ingenuity. Human ingenuity can solve a lot of problems by throwing bodies at it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Well, I think we're rolling around towards uh, the end of the analysis piece here. Let's let's go ahead and make our final judgments on indiana jones and the king of the crystal skull and our rating system lucas is shelf or trash and you can be as gentle or as forceful as you wish in your shelving or trashing of the film so what do you think does is this movie stand the test of time is it worth buying or is it a movie that's uh simply uh ready for the dustbin of history i think having on the shelf i mean let it collect dust like crack it out every 10 years or something like that um there's enough fun stuff. I mean, if you like Indiana Jones, you've already seen this movie. And I think if you like Indiana Jones movies, there's still just enough Indiana Jones to watch it once a decade and go, Oh, that's a movie. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot we didn't talk about. I'm going to go through some of my, the funniest things that I have in my notes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so Indiana Jones is uh, he's too, way too punchline. He's one liner the whole time, even when he's like angry and talking shit to the Russians after they kidnap him at the beginning. And he's still just everything coming out of his life, uh, coming out of his mouth is just like a really hack joke and did not like that. Um, Kate Blanchett, we did not talk about her doing the uh, Boris and Tasha Russian voice. <laughs> yeah. Which was really Fine bad. Squirrel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but man, that character, she was still kind of like, yes, mommy, tell me I'm a bad boy. Like, Yeah, no, step on me, etc. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I can't argue with that. <laughs> so there was at least something going on there. Um, let's see. Also, all of like, the Russian guys they all looked like um i don't know like nba first team all defense guys from like the last like, five <laughs> or six years <laughs> no really great casting on all of those like henchmen for real they have really great faces on some of those dudes that's fun yeah um there was uh when they go to like that spooky cemetery thing to find the uh whatever the the next marker the and the next clue. yeah and there's like those like skeleton creeper ninjas that i guess we kind of see later on when they get to the actual temple that are mm-hmm. uh, i think kind of like a wink and a nod to like the keepers of the cup or whatever who they are from a uh, last crusade you know the guys that yeah are, like, it's sort of a uh, secret society kind of, yeah and sort of this trope of like the un- uncontacted tribe that sort of thing mm-hmm. yeah so i thought at least like those guys were kind of cool um yeah I wish that tomb that or I wish that thing that they went to was like a little more Temple of Doom though. Like there wasn't enough. There's like a scorpion, but it was like where's all the gross bugs and snakes and mm. stuff. Uh, we haven't even really talked about the skull or uh, Dan Aykroyd's crystal skull vodka. God, we this. haven't. You're so we right. Even we touched really on the MacGuffin. 
<laughs> oh, it's so good too. Like really great prop design on that. I remarked upon it while we were watching it together. It's, I was like, it man, this so thing looks yeah. sick. And and well, in the, the the melt the face melting, uh, you know, obviously doesn't compare to Raiders, but like pretty cool, uh, you know, villain death when uh, Kate Blanchett, you know, gets gets melted by the skull. Yeah, she uh, she looks into the bucket of truth and goes insane, <laughs> and it yeah, the the abyss stares back. Yeah, <laughs> um, I hate the jungle chase. I think it's mostly, I mean, for like like the last big set piece. Especially compared to like with like the last one, like Raiders, where it's just like that tank thing and all. Like, mm-hmm. um, and I, I didn't like the the sword fighting was dumb. The jungle, the Tarzan stuff, that was also mm-hmm. just very much. It felt like George Lucas just creaming his jeans, writing that stuff down, or telling them to write it down. Like, oh, we've got to have a scene where there's a chase in the jungle, and they're going to be uh, swashbuckling and swinging on vines. And I was just like, God, why are we doing? Nobody wants this. Except for you, like yeah, that does feel like, like sixty. Yeah, it's yeah. real George and Steven, uh, yes, anding each other energy. Uh, I liked the ants in theory; they looked like shit. The CGI is like it's a bad effect, but like, I thought it was cool having like the skull, like the ants are like, no, not getting near that thing. And then that Russian guy gets like dragged into the hole with like all the ants crawling out of his mouth and stuff, always screaming, you know. Yeah, pretty good, like, horror beat in the middle of this adventure movie. But there should have been blood. Like, I instead of dragging him to the hole, like, you know, give us, like, a cool face-melting kind of thing. Like, watch, you yeah. know. Yeah. Have, like, the ants just, like, pick the dude, do his bones, or, you know, show me a skeleton I mean, or Raiders, something. Raiders is a legitimately gnarly film, <laughs> truly. Like, it's pretty bloody, even outside of the face-melting at the end. Like, some pretty graphic deaths in that movie. All three of the, of the original trilogy are, like, yeah, have, like, stuff where just like wow like that's i mean even like last crusade has like a lot of blood in it wild Mm -hmm. weird how sensibilities and and sort of like what what the the needle of pg and pg-13 and i mean there's a whole conversation there with how that's kind of evolved and morphed uh that we that we haven't gotten into i i think where i got one last one last quick please please. uh that it looked like shit but it was hilarious to me that when the alien you know they all you know in that bucket of truth moment it looked Mm. like that alien from that movie paul oh my god (laughs) (laughs) that alien is voiced by seth rogan you're so right (laughs) that alien is about to ask uh kate blanchett's skull if she wants to smoke weed (laughs) (laughs) that would have been so much cooler uh, uh, yeah, I I don't know. I, I I totally get where Lucas is coming from. I don't think it's bad to shelf this, but I'm I'm no malice of forethought. I'm throwing it in the trash. Uh, convince me there needed to be a fourth Indiana Jones movie. You know, uh, I think I'm still with where we kind of started this conversation. You know, Last Crusade is uh, a really great note to go out on, and if, if you're going to revive those characters, you kind of need to justify like going back to that well and this film certainly doesn't do that. And I certainly don't think it justifies going back to the well again and making James Mangold, make an uninteresting movie instead of something cool. So yeah, a, a very, um, gentle and, and unpissed off trash from, from, from me this week. Uh, what about you D? So I think where I fall in it is I would say it is at this very moment, uh, in the shadow of dial, of destiny um not having it premiered a trasher 
And the reason why is you would I would recommend buying this movie as part of the box set of one, two, and three. Uh, so buy one, two, and three, and then don't bother buying you know four uh, because those box sets are out there and available. And if it turns out that Dial of Destiny is really good, then go ahead and buy it in the box set. Does that make sense? That is yeah. worth putting on your shelf with you know it being a, a sort of a weaker middle chapter. That's fine because Dial for Dial of Destiny is is that good. But until that um, particular movie comes out, we know whether or not it's worth it. At this point, I would say trash, but trash provisionally. So I am I'm I'm doing a weird provisional trashing based on where we are as of this very moment in this sort of tenuous space before the next one comes out. So, uh, whatever, however, however gentle that trashing looks, that's what I, that's what I'm trying to say uh, there. Uh, if you want to tell us why we're wrong, dear listener, Dalton will tell you how we can, you can do that now. Uh, that's right. If you you want to let us know all thoughts indie, you can uh, hit us up goodtrashgenrecast at gmail dot com. That's goodtrashgenrecast at gmail dot com for all of your long form feedback. Uh, we're also bumming around the social media spheres, but uh, you know we don't really update the Insta for this show anymore, and Twitter's a dead scene. So. Um, you know, we're at Good Trash Media if you want to find us, go looking for us. Uh, we're goodtrashmedia.com if you want to find written content that, that we produce. Uh, Dustin will be, by the time this episode is out, might have published uh, some uh, content from Dead Center Film Festival. Uh, he's going to be doing some written coverage, uh, and our feed should be filled with uh, episodes with Alex Sanchez of us covering the fest by the time this is in your feed. So if you haven't checked that out, go enjoy that. Uh, and last but certainly not least, if you want to help keep uh, our lights on, you go to patreon.com forward slash GTM uh, for more info on what's in it for you and, uh, and, and you know, what our needs are. Uh, Lucas, uh, what is, Thank you so much. Yeah, hey man, I'm a professional. I always let people plug. What tell people about your blog, uh, other shit you got going on, and anything you you want the folks to know about? Uh, yeah, so I you can find me on like the Twitters and the Grams um, at Fernet Broncho, and um, I do a Substack. It's uh, mfbroncho.substack.com. Uh, it's called "There's Nothing You Can Possess Which I Cannot Take," which is a quote from Raiders of the Lost Ark, baby. Um, but it's uh, – I do like reviews sometimes. I've been doing a series where like you can just pay me 10 bucks and I will just watch whatever movie. Most of everything is people trying to like, just torture me with the worst shit, but I've got an iron stomach. <laughs> uh, but there's also a lot of things I kind of started as like it's uh, talking about movies without really talking about them. Just kind of like experiences that I've had, personal essays. Like uh, you can read about the time that I saw – uh, cast away in the movie theater and it was packed and some weird guy sat next to us in the theater and somehow snuck in a 30 rack of keystones drank all of them before like halfway through the movie he took a shirt off and then when Wilson got lost he just like started screaming and he walked out the fire exit so uh, if you want to <laughs> wow. hear stories like that uh, go to mfbroncho.substack.com uh, or you can also if you're into like food stuff uh, i yeah, I write and edit for Edible OKC, and we cover the Oklahoma food beverage scene and all of that. So uh, really proud of my work there as well. Thank you guys for having me on. 
Man, Do thanks you, for coming on, man. We've we've really enjoyed this. Yeah, no, it's been it's been great to have you on, man. And I, I'll I'll beat the drum a little bit more because I I really love your Substack. Thank uh, you. Great, it's great writing over there. I I you know me, I'm a Zola freak, and uh, somebody got you to review that one, and I, I really enjoyed your write up on that film. I don't think um, so. Yeah, but, my last one there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember. There's another one I read uh, a while back that uh, about where you talk about a road trip to Mexico, but I can't remember what the film is. Um, was uh, that in the uh, Zola one? I think that was the Zola one. Yeah, because okay, I think I was just, it the Zola one? Because I think I was like, I only have about two paragraphs that I want to talk about this movie. So instead, I'm gonna just like tell my own like fucking gotcha. Well, story. and that's what I love about your <laughs> I, I love about your film writing is sort of like the journey to see a film, or sort of like the the connections we can par- draw and parallel between a film and our own life. Like I, I love that kind of shit. So that's, I, I'm really a big fan of that aspect of your work. So yeah, go, go check out Lucas's work. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll get to have you on again sometime. Uh, let yeah, us I'd know next time back. there's yeah, a movie. Love to yeah. have you. Yeah, do you guys yeah, have you... any, uh, do we have time for like quick dial of destiny prediction, hot takes? Sure. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Um, uh, probably bad. Right. I love James Mangold, but I like the early buzz out of can is not good. Yeah, I, I also think it's going to be the uh, sort of weirdly enter the Spider-Verse, but like fumbled version of Indy. And so, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm cautiously pessimistic. I think it's going to be about Crystal Skull level. I'm hoping for something like a notch above Crystal Skull. I don't think that it's going to be like original yeah. trilogy, but like I think they might like write some of the wrongs and uh i don't know they're not really like letting out too much about it so that's always a yeah worrisome uh i mean i guess we it's just still i think the fan theory is a dial of destiny some like time travel bullshit right yeah it seems right. that way yeah i mean because mads mickelson's in the trailer talking about you know uh changing the end of the war and stuff so it, it certainly seems like which I guess if you're making a final Indiana Jones movie, having the Nazis come back uh, to try to win the war is certainly a move uh, that makes it's sense to me. I, I know I have my prescient. sarcastic. Yeah, it's politically prescient. Yeah, I know I have my sarcastic voice on a little bit, but yeah, like I do get it. Like at a, at a scripting level, it does kind of make sense. This um, isn't like a yeah. real like the Dial of Destinies. Like they just made this up, though, right? Like at least with like the Crystal Skull, like that's kind of like a. Yeah, there's lore around that stuff. I don't know about the Dial of Destiny, actually. I, haven't I looked don't up. either. Yeah, I could. I've looked up because I've been trying to like avoid spoilers. But when I heard the title, I'm like, okay, what is this? Like some another one of those just like History Channel, ancient alien style show? Because I I consume a lot of that kind of media. <laughs> like, I mean, I was into like ancient alien style stuff. Like, just as a kid, I go to the library and just like any weird paranormal book or whatever. Like, that's nice. Was, nice. You know, I was reading about Bermuda Triangle and watching In Search of and you know, oh yeah, my stuff. my aunt and uncle got me. I, I feel you, man. I got I got given a uh, like a, a, a Close Encounters uh, diaries type book when I was <laughs> like middle school. It was Hell very yeah. yeah, it really scarred me. <laughs> what do you think he's going to uh, yeah, use the yeah. Dial of Destiny to do? Yeah. Um, Arthur has written in this that the Dial of Destiny most likely refers to the Greek myth of the Road of Fortune, which is known as the Wheel of Fortune. So it might it might be connected to that Greek myth. Mm, that's an interesting fan theory. Uh, I'm curious. I think one of the more recent trailers had something. I think like Archimedes was mentioned or something. Like oh, that. okay, mm. okay. 
Um, well, yeah. I mean, if people start telling me it's good, I, I'm going to go check it out. I, I don't think I'll be there opening weekend, but I, I'm definitely open to to hearing it's it's interesting. There's yeah, I'm going to see it. Down, like this is the last Harrison Ford, the Indiana Jones movie, which it, please God let it be that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they made him come back as Decker. They made him come back as Solo. They, they like literally they made all, made him come back as everybody. Like truly, the only thing they haven't done is gone back to the uh, um, American graffiti. Well, at this point. I think this mm-hmm. is like the only one of those he wants to come back to, though, because he's like full on leading man badass. Like Star Wars, yeah. like he was like kill, like I'll do one more and make sure to just like kill me, so I don't have to do another Star Wars because because he's not going to be like the star, but he still wants to be like, you know, he wants to be Indiana Jones. He said he had a great time making it. That's great. Yeah, I heard he like got uh, the, 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 he they got a big standing ovation when they premiered it, and he got real emotional and stuff. So like you know, I'm I'm glad it was a good journey for him. You know, it's it's a good capper on his career. Um, speaking of like if career, they keep making oh, these ahead. movies, if they keep making these, like I with all these franchises, I just want them to do like the James Bond approach because you're gonna have to make mm-hmm. one of these movies every like ten years to keep the IP for it. You know, and they're gonna do it because they don't want to lose Indiana Jones rights. So just like have just like we can just have a new Indiana Jones it doesn't have to be like it could still be him fighting the Nazis or whatever just like slot him out with you know whatever cool chiseled hunky actor or give us Lady Indiana Jones or whatever you know but like we don't need like the origin story we all know that he's like so much in the zeitgeist where it's like you don't have to tell me who this Indiana Jones guy is just call it Indiana Jones and the whatever and just give us a good big you know like have like James Wan make one you know like a give us like that level of like action intensity and you know and just like some MacGuffin that's intriguing enough and like we don't have to keep stringing Harrison Ford and this character along just you know just another like a serialized monster of the week mm-hmm. yeah hell yeah hell yeah well next week things are going to be a little different Dustin you want to you kind of want to tell folks what we've got coming up we're taking the summer off again as we did last year a little bit that's right and so what we're going to do is a series of list episodes and the first list that's going to be uh, coming to your ears through your podcatcher next week is uh, we're going to do a top 10 list of our top 10 directors of all time and so uh, each of us will uh, bring a list of 10 and uh, we'll talk our way through that. That way we don't have quite as much movie homework. And uh, we can also direct you, dear listeners, to just some of the things that we really like and enjoy and would want you to check out perhaps in the future if you, if you kind of vibe with our aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have a fun time. You know, we did the top 100s last year, and so we, we thought, like, okay, what, what is this going to look like? And we came up with a couple of different, you know, top 10s we could do. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, to put these lists together and get them out there into the world and, and see what people think. Uh, it's going to be a good summer. Yep, absolutely. But, again, thanks again, Lucas, for coming on the show. It's been really, really great having you. And uh, we're going to – Call it a day for today. Uh, You keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. I'm not afraid.